0: Um, so what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going through, uh, as you know, the, a series in Revelation, um, and this is the last of the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in Asia Minor. Um, so you can see where Asia Minor is. I thought it would be helpful just to, to put up a map um, of, uh, of where these, uh, maybe you'll need to flick on, Harry, if you can flick that on to the next one. you can bring that up just to see where the, the churches are we've gone through um, uh, six of the letters so far and now we're into the last one and so Laura read uh, from Revelation chapter 3 and I would encourage you all to open your Bibles at Revelation chapter 3 and just to keep that open as we go through that this morning um, it is my prayer that God will speak through his living and active word um, so we'll just be going through that passage this morning Okay, let's see if that comes down. Lovely. So there you see the different um, churches. So this is modern-day Turkey. Um, So you'll see the the little black dot there, if you can see it, the Isle of Patmos. That's where John uh, received this uh, word from the Lord. And then you see 1 to 7, the the different churches. So um, starting off back when we did Ephesus, and then up to Smyrna, and Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis... Philadelphia, number six, and then number seven, Laodicea. So going around on almost a loop around these churches. And sometimes I think it's funny that you you hear these names, but you don't really think of them as real places. But these are real places. There were real cities. There were real churches in those cities. And so we're considering today uh, the seventh and last letter to the church of Laodicea. So let me just pray uh, before we get into that. Father, I pray this morning uh, that you will speak clearly to your people this morning, that you'll speak clearly, Lord, to each one uh, gathered here this morning, that, Lord, we'll see your words come alive, and the message that you gave to the the church uh, at Laodicea, but also to the church worldwide, to the whole world, Lord. I pray that we will see what you're saying through your words this morning. So be with us, I pray. Amen. So I wonder what Jesus would say to the church at Gilnahirk if Jesus was writing um, about to us and to this church here in East Belfast. I wonder what he would commend. I wonder what he would say after he says, I know your deeds. I wonder what would follow. So bear that in mind as we see what the Lord Jesus has to say about the church in Laodicea. And there's something very different about this last church, something very different to the other six. And you may have spotted it already as Laura read to us. And we'll come to that significant difference soon. And so we're going to be following a slightly different pattern um, as we did before. And so we'll look at who the letter's from, the church the message is written to, the problem with the church, and then the solution Jesus offers. So then just um, looking there at verse 14... And and we'll see and we'll start with who the letter's from. And Jesus does this each time. To each of the letters, he describes himself in a different way. And quite often, it looks back, refers back to Revelation chapter 1. And so in verse 14, you see Jesus describes himself. uh, It says, uh, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So I want to look at these briefly just to see who Jesus is saying that he is because it's very relevant to the message that he's bringing to the church. So he describes himself as the amen. And the the word amen is often used to affirm the truthfulness of a statement. Obviously, we know the word amen. We say the word amen probably most days. I would imagine at the end of prayers. But it's used in other, other places as well where people want to agree heartily with something that somebody says. Uh, I was at New Horizon um, a couple of weeks back, and there was an African speaker, and he encouraged us all when he said something to say, amen, you know, and you can imagine that. um, And we're not, uh, we're a bit more, uh, uh, we don't maybe show our emotions in the same way, but saying amen at the end of something um, uh, shows our belief, and it shows this kind of verbal guarantee at the end of a statement. John MacArthur says, amen, at the end of a statement, seals the veracity and certainty of that statement. So Jesus is the amen. He is the guarantee to God's promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. So God's promises are validated through Jesus. So that's the first thing. The second thing then, Jesus describes himself as the faithful and true witness. And this really builds on the the previous statement. It builds on the amen. Because not only does Jesus affirm that all that God says is true, but as the faithful and true witness, all that Jesus says is absolutely and undeniably true. Absolutely and undeniably true. So when we read Jesus' words, those words are true. So I don't know if your Bible is like mine. uh, Sometimes the words of Jesus are written in red. So all those words that Jesus says are absolutely true. So when we read in Scripture, when we hear statements from Jesus, when we read his promises, when we heed his warnings, they are true, true, true. And I wonder, do you believe that? Do you say that you believe it or do you actually believe it? Or do sometimes do we pick and true, choose what we think to be true? And we can't do that. What Jesus says is true. So we need to accept that 100% that Jesus is 100% faithful and true or else he's a fraud and can't be trusted. And I don't think we believe that to be the case. So Jesus describes himself as the Amen, then the Faithful and True, and then the third description then, uh, Jesus describes himself as the ruler of God's creation, or some translations will say at the beginning, the beginning of creation. And that doesn't mean that he was created first. Jesus always was. And we know that God is described as the Alpha and the Omega. But Jesus is also described in Revelation 22, verse 13, as the Alpha. And Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You see, Jesus is the source, the sustainer, and the goal of creation. Let me just say that again. Jesus is the source, the sustainer, and the goal of creation. So how foolish of us then to think that we don't need Jesus. He provides for our every need. He sustains the universe he causes the sun to shine, and the rain to fall, and the wind to blow, and the tides to come in, but only so far. This is Jesus. He is the source, the stainer, and the goal of creation. So this is how Jesus describes himself at the opening of this letter um, to, the, to the Laodicean church. But who is the church that Jesus was writing to? Well, as we see, that it's written to this church in Laodicea, and it's mentioned a few times in Colossians. So, if we were if we were going back, um, if we're going back again, um, you'll just see, see where it is there. See Colossae just below Laodicea, and then Hierapolis just above it. So, i was just zooming in on that map just to, to show you where it is. So, Paul was very familiar with the church at Laodicea. And so if we look back to Colossians 2, you'll see that Paul at the, at the start of Colossians 2 talks about the struggle he has for those in Colossae and also the church in Laodicea. And then in chapter 4, Paul talks about how hard Epaphras has worked for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And so Paul sends his greetings then to the brothers and sisters in the church in Laodicea. And he asked for the, the letter to the Colossians to be read in that church. And it's funny. Just as I was uh, preparing for today, it's funny thinking about that. As Paul was writing um, to the, the church in Colossae, he was saying, "Yes, read this. Read this to the to the folks in Colossians." So the church that was gathered there—I don't know how many were there—but said, "But also take that letter, bring it up the road to Laodicea, and then read it to the folks in Laodicea." So this was an actual letter that would have been written, uh, that would have been read out, that the, the, uh, the letter to the Colossians. And so it would appear that the, the church in Laodicea had some of the same issues that the Colossian church had. And the Laodicean church seemed to have a warped view of Jesus. We'll come more to that um, in a moment. And that idea of not a correct view or a wrong view of Jesus is something that can make a modern-day church like a Laodicean church. And we'll see what that means shortly. So whether that's a, a Mormon church, an extremely liberal church, any church that denies the deity of Jesus, any church that denies the person of Jesus is a church that is not pleasing to God. And many would say is a dead church. And Jesus is about to deliver a really damning assessment about the church at Laodicea and he doesn't hold back and that's what makes this message this morning a difficult one to deliver um, and deliver a difficult one for us to hear uh, this morning but we need to take care we need to take heed in case this refers to us um, us as a church us as individuals within a church Look at verse 15 then. So verse 15 says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Did you notice a difference in this church in this letter? That there's nothing to commend about the church in Laodicea. There's nothing positive to note at all that Jesus mentions. It's not like the church in Ephesus where Jesus says, you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Or the letter to Thyatira where Jesus says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. Or in Philadelphia where Leslie was preaching a couple of weeks back where Jesus said, you've kept my word and have not denied my name. These were all things, all six letters that have preceded this one. There was something good. There was something that Jesus said positive about that church. But as he writes to the church in Laodicea, he has nothing positive to say. What a damning assessment that is. And we'll find out uh, a bit more about that shortly. But just to to set this in context, um, and with the verses that are to come, And some of the almost strange things that Jesus says, um, as he talks about being naked and blind um, and being poor, these are all related to the way the church was in Laodicea and the way the city was. So we need to find out a wee bit more about Laodicea. Um, I wonder, do you ever uh, watch relocation programs on TV? Uh, I know Susan likes to, to watch them sometimes, uh, I can say that because she's up with the kids, so I'll share that with you, but don't mention it to her later on. But Susan likes those programs. Um, and sometimes they'll big up a city, they'll say how good it is, uh, and they'll talk about all the good things uh, to make it sound like the ideal place to live. And Laodicea would be one of those, um, uh, one of those types of cities. In fact, if I go back again, just to to show you it again. Uh, Let's see. If we can bring up that map again, just to to show you where where Laodicea is. That's, That's not working for me there at the minute. But just to explain where it is. Um, and it's just, just behind that unfortunate uh, message in the middle of the screen. But if you were able to see the road uh, and the road system in Laodicea, you would see that Laodicea was a key city in that region. It was at the intersection of a north south trade route. That's where it was. And it was also then at an intersection of the west east trade route as well. So it was uh, a financial centre, it was like the London of the region. And with that being a financial center, it was a very wealthy city. The city didn't rely on um, anyone else for financial support. And it's interesting, historically, if you were to find out about Laodicea, one of the things you would find that it was destroyed as a city in AD 60. Um, And Rome then offered financial help to the city of Laodicea to rebuild it. And the Laodicean city said, no thanks, we don't need the money we'll do it ourselves and they rebuilt the city and they rebuilt it much bigger and much better than it was before uh, with coliseums with gymnasiums with all sorts of things in the city at that time so it was a very wealthy city but it was also known for its fashion and this is an interesting point Um, I find it interesting anyway it was interesting because there was a black wool that was available there Um, that wasn't available in other uh, parts in and around Laodicea. So people would have worn this black wool, and it was almost a symbol of of success if you were wearing this black wool because it was quite rare, and it became synonymous with Laodicea. And not only that, but the city was a center for medical technology. So remember when this was? In and around uh, 80s, sometime in and around a few years after uh, Jesus was on earth. So the medical technology, famous for ointments to improve your health, specifically one that was to improve eye health. So you may be thinking, why am I mentioning these things? Well, you'll notice that Jesus talks about this later on. So the city was famous for wealth, for fashion, for health products, especially for your eyes. So it was a sort of place, if you were thinking of relocating, you might go to Laodicea. But it did have a big problem. And it was a significant problem. The water was a problem. The water system was a problem in Laodicea. And again, think what Laura read to us there. And I read then again about this idea of being hot and cold. And this is why Jesus said this. The city didn't have its own drinkable water. The water supplies that it did have were full of calcium carbonate. And when you drank it, it made you feel sick. It made you feel nauseous. So you couldn't just drink that raw local water from Laodicea. However, just north in Heropolis, so that you can see just a few miles up the road in Heropolis, there were were natural hot springs. And these waters had healing powers. And these healing powers, this water, that's still used today. So you can see some of the pools that there are that people, people would have dipped in. And it had kind of properties for rehabilitation, for restoration. So some of that water then was transported down the road to Laodicea. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't hot water. It was lukewarm. And it was useless as drinking water. So it was no good. However, in Colossae, just down the road, you'll see it's maybe, I think it's between 5 and 10 miles um, down the road was Colossae. And they had cold springs. Beautiful drinking water. So the Laodiceans then transported this water um, up the road. I'm going to see if we can bring up a, bring up a picture. And Harry, if you can flick that on for me. Um, transported up the road through a series of pipes and a series of aqueducts. So cold water in Colossae traveled up. Some of it was in pipes, some of it was above ground. And so what was the water like by the time that it got to Laodicea? Once again, it was lukewarm. And it was useless because it had picked up all these uh, impurities. And so it was no good as drinking water. So Jesus uses the example of the water problem to expose the state of the church in Laodicea. And highlights the problem with the church. So I want you to think of those things. Those things that I've mentioned about Laodicea. The water problem that it had. The fashion that they had with these fine clothes the medical technology, that they had this eye salve that they were able to use, and they were very wealthy. So that's the background to, uh, to the church that we're talking about here. And so the problem was, as Jesus says, I know your deeds, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So he's not really talking about spiritual temperature, He's not saying, as some would say, it's not about being um, on fire for Jesus or being hot in your faith. What he's saying is that the church in Laodicea was useless, and indeed it made him sick. Look at the words of verse 16. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Or if you were to read this in the New King James Version, it says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus says this to the church. You make me sick. You make me want to vomit. Aren't those devastating devastating and harsh words for this church? And this is the loving Jesus who is saying these words to the church. And why does he say it? Why does he say, you make me sick? Well, it would appear that the prosperity of the Laodicean Christians had made them self-sufficient. They didn't need anything from anyone around the place. And they certainly didn't need Jesus because they thought they had all that they needed. They were a church that were rejecting Jesus and they were suffering from self-sufficiency. And that was the problem in this church. Juan Sanchez says um, their affluence led them to self-sufficiency, making them complacent in this world and useless to Jesus and his kingdom. So Jesus declares, you make me sick. I think that's a very powerful quote um, from Juan Sanchez there. Their affluence led them to self-sufficiency, making them complacent in this world and useless to Jesus and his kingdom. So Jesus declares, you make me sick. What a solemn message this is, and one that's maybe more relevant to us than we think. This is the the church in Laodicea, um, in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. But how is this relevant to us in Gilnear Baptist in 2023? Well, looking back at verse 15, these familiar words that we've seen before, where it says, I know your deeds, as Jesus said to five of the seven churches, I know your deeds, and Jesus knows our deeds, he knows our deeds as a church, and as individuals, the all-seeing eye of Jesus sees everything, the all-knowing mind of God knows everything, he knows the heart of every man, woman, and child, And we may be able to fool some of the people some of the time. Or some of us can fool most of the people most of the time. But you can't fool Jesus. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our hearts. And this church had a wrong view of Jesus. That's why Jesus began the letter by describing himself as the Amen. Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler or the beginning of God's creation. The church was rejecting Jesus and was reliant on their own resources, on their own ideas, on their own wealth. They were self-sufficient and not reliant on Jesus. And Jesus' response, you make me sick. Friends, this, this morning, could we be described as self-sufficient? I think our society in the West certainly has become self-sufficient, and this has crept into the church, and I do believe it is a problem. And I may be generalizing a bit here, but when we're hungry, we buy more food, uh, usually more than we need. Food waste is a big problem that we have in Northern Ireland and in other uh, Western countries. Do we have more clothes than we need? Probably yes. But do we keep buying clothes? Yes we do. When we're sick, we have a good health service to rely on. But if it's not quick enough, we'll maybe pay and go private just to get that quicker or maybe better. We no longer have one week's holiday in the year, as I remember growing up, uh, maybe that was because I was a poor farmer's son, we had one week's holiday to Port Stewart every year. Now we have multiple holidays. We plan so well for our retirement with our savings and our pensions, don't we? And these things aren't bad. Um, And please, I'm not judging in any way. And I'm speaking to myself in all these words. So these things aren't bad. But sometimes we become self-reliant and self-sufficient. And I wonder, do our thoughts and attitudes think of all these things coming from our own hard work? from our wages or our salaries, rather than thinking all good gifts come from the hand of God. So how do we test then if we're a self-sufficient church or a self-sufficient individual? Well, one of those tests surely is where there's a lack of prayer. I wonder, do we rely on God or do we rely on ourselves when situations arise or when decisions need to be made. It's worth examining our prayer lives, and we'll address this later on. But can I ask you some other questions as I ask myself this morning? Firstly, what fills your thought life? What do you think about when you're on your own? What do you think about maybe when you go out for a walk sometime? Um, I take Bowser out for our dog, out for a walk, um, first thing most mornings. And so it's an opportunity to go out, and uh, I'm just on my own, or with Bowser, but he's not much chat. Um, So I have time with my own thoughts. And what do I think about when I'm walking around doing that loop, and it's usually the same loop every morning. Well, being honest, I'll be thinking about what I'm gonna be doing at work that day. Or I'll be thinking about the state of our personal finances. Or maybe thinking about plans for the future, or when I can retire, or thinking about some other family issue. But do I think about Jesus and his plans for me, and how I will spend eternity? Do I spend time with Jesus when I'm on my own? So what fills your thought life? That's the first thing. Secondly, how do you manage your personal finances? Do you prioritize your giving to God's work and blessing others? Or do you see what you have at the end of the month and then think, well, that's left over, I'll maybe give some of that. And thirdly, what do you do when things go wrong, when life is tough? From whom do you seek your counsel? Do you turn to others or do you turn to Jesus to try and work your way through the problem? And fourthly then, what about your attitude to the local church? Do we prioritize church in our lives or do we fit in church whenever it works around our work or our social schedule? Do we treat church a bit like a a social club that we go to to catch up or is it a spiritual home where we value and prioritize it as a place where we learn more about God and we can use our gifts to serve him and promote the work of the gospel? These in many other ways will show us if we have a tendency of self-sufficiency like the Laodiceans. But look how God describes uh, the Laodiceans. Uh, Go back to verse 17 there. Jesus says to to this church, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But goes on to say, but you do not realize that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's Jesus describing this confident, wealthy, well-dressed, social climbing, medically looked after church, this society. And that's what Jesus says. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus challenges the very things that the city is famous for. The very things that the city and in some ways the church take pride in. The very things that define them. And Jesus challenges their thoughts and their attitudes. As I prepared for this this morning and I listened to what some others thought um, about this church of Laodicea, some would say that there were no believers in the church of Laodicea some would have said it was a completely dead church. They were church attenders, but they weren't actually Christians. I think there, there probably were some Christians in this church. And yes, there definitely were many who, who weren't believers, who attended but weren't believers. But do we really know the heart of people that we come to church with? And I'm being very careful what I say here. But do we know if someone is born again? And we don't really. We don't really know. We have an idea and we can assume that. And yes, I think quite often we can be correct. But we don't really know. But certainly this church was not functioning the way the church of God should function. And there were many who were not living the way that they should. But there were some believers there. So let's move on to the the solution that Jesus offers. So after speaking to the church, after delivering delivering this damning assessment of the church, what solution does Jesus offer to this wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked church? Well, he offers grace, and he begins to counsel the church. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. See Jesus referring to these things that Laodicea was famous for. You can become rich, white clothes to wear as opposed to those black clothes. Um, And that's figurative in some ways but it's referring to this black fashionable clothing that Jesus talk, is talking about the righteousness of Jesus. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and then salve to put in your eyes so you can see. So what Jesus wants for the church is for our poverty to be replaced by spiritual wealth. That our nakedness and shame is covered with the righteousness of Jesus. And that our blindness is healed so that we can see how things really are, and escape from this fantasy world of self-sufficiency and self-satisfaction. So what do we do? Where do we go for help? Well, John Piper um, asks uh, this question. Um, It's quite a long quote. I'm not sure, Harry, whether you're able to bring the the quote up, but I'll read it out anyway. But it says, so these are the, the words of John Piper, and he says, how do you buy gold when you 're broke, Jesus knows we're broke and not just broke but blind, and not just blind but shamefully naked. we can't even leave the closet or our bedroom as we would say here. so how do you buy gold and garments and salve when you're poor and blind and naked? How do you get the wealth of Christ, the power to be clothed with obedience, and the wisdom to see things like God does? When your house is empty and you're too, too frightened and ashamed to venture out. So that's what, what John Piper poses. What do you do when you can't even go out because you're poor and you're blind and you're naked? Well, look what it says in verse 19 and verse 20. It says there, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. So that's the first thing. Jesus calls for the people to be earnest and repent. There's wrongdoing here, there is sin here. And so first that needs there needs to be repentance. Do we need to come before God this morning, before a holy God, in repentance this morning? Because when we do, the good news then that comes in the next verse, in verse 20, from the gracious, loving, forgiving Jesus, gives us the answer. And what does he say in verse 20? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I'm sure the vast majority in, in the congregation this morning have heard this verse Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and it 's often uh, misquoted. Um, we often use it as an evangelistic way about Jesus knocking on the door of our hearts, and in some ways, yes, it can be used in that way, but in this case, this is Jesus knocking on the door of the church. This is Jesus knocking on the door of his church and asking to him asking to come in. And I find that sad in many ways. Jesus almost locked out of his own church. And why? Because those inside, those people who do not enjoy the riches of Christ or the clothing of Christ or the medicine of Christ because they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked, they keep the door shut to Jesus. Friends, is that us this morning? Is this a description of us? Do we have an appearance of those who are good living? Whatever that means. Do we think that we're good enough to get by this morning? But inside, God knows our deeds. And maybe we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I know these are are tough words this morning. But as I said before, I'm preaching these um, to my own heart. And what Jesus wants, Jesus just doesn't want to knock on the door. What he wants to do is to come in and eat with us. What does that mean when Jesus says, or look at the end um, of that verse again, um, in verse 20. I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. Jesus wants to spend quality time with us. And I want you to think of this. What do you do if you want to catch up with friends? Quite often, you will invite them in, and you'll invite them over for a meal or you'll spend time with them around the table sharing food and drinks. Or maybe you're going on a date with a, a new boyfriend or girlfriend, and you want to spend time with that person. What do you do? Well, I often think that the cinema would have been my choice at that stage, but you can't speak to the person because you're watching a movie. So the best thing to do is you go out for a meal, and you have to talk to each other. Maybe that's why I went to the cinema. I'm not sure. But... If you're wanting to celebrate something, maybe an anniversary or a a birthday, you invite people over and you spend time over a meal where you can spend quality time with that person. And that is the picture that Jesus is painting. He doesn't just ask for a minute or two at the start of the day. His will for the church is that we open the doors that we open all the doors of our life. He wants to join us in the dining room and to spread out a meal for us, to eat with us, and to talk with us. And how do we do that? How can we do that this morning? Well, one of the key ways um, is that we need to seek God in prayer. That is how we buy the gold that Jesus talks about. Rather than being like the Laodiceans who were self-sufficient, who were saying, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. We need to come humbly before God in prayer this morning. Corporately, as a church, yes, we need to do that. Um, we do need to pray more as Gilna Hurt Baptist. Um, we need to pray more. We need to pray more often. More of us need to pray And maybe that's something we need to make a priority um, in this place going forward. But mainly in our homes, in our families, as couples, as individuals, in our own devotions, we need to realize our reliance on a holy God and come before him in prayer. And I don't think that means that two minutes when you, you get up in the morning or the two minutes before your head hits a pillow at the end of the day. This is seeking communion with God, spending time with him, getting to know him more intimately. Friends, Jesus wants to have fellowship with his children. And if we feel a distance this morning from God, it's not because he has moved away from us, it is because we have moved away from him. So let us strive to move from a spirit of self-sufficiency to one of reliance on Jesus. So just to finish then, in verse 21, Jesus says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. This is the prize that Jesus offers for his children. This is the prize Jesus offers with those in his church. He offers a share in his universal rule if we obey, if we will conquer, if we will overcome the danger of lukewarmness and spiritual self-sufficiency that is so evident in this church in Laodicea. Surely that is something that we need to strive for and something that we need to deal for this morning. So whoever has ears, verse 22, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, this is a difficult passage to deal with, with a challenge uh, that you have brought to us this morning, a challenge that you've brought to your church, this um, challenge of self-sufficiency. And I pray, Lord, as we um, hear these words, I pray that your spirit uh, will speak to us, that your spirit will speak to me this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as we maybe do feel poor and pitiful and wretched and naked and blind this morning, but yet you stand at the door of the church and you ask us for communion with you. You want us to spend that intimate time with you. So, Lord, I pray that you will challenge us. I pray that you will challenge us as individuals, I pray that you'll challenge us as a church. And Lord, we know that you want to pour out your spiritual blessings on us. And Lord, we have so much in the Lord Jesus and through the Lord Jesus this morning. So Lord, I pray uh, that as we continue to worship with you, Lord, that you will uh, continue to speak to us this morning. Amen. Amen.